We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Mike Fauci bringing you another episode of Setting the Pace, and I am joined by, he goes by the one and only, Alex Golden himself. Alex, what's happening? I'm doing absolutely fantastic. Could not be more thrilled to be talking Pacers basketball with the one and only, the lovely Michael J. Fauci. Ah, the lovely, there it is. Alex, we are on a very specific route right now. This is a mail delivery route. It is mailbag day right over here. So, Alex, we got a couple letters from the Pacer Nation. So, definitely very much appreciate everybody. Appreciate everybody that sent them in today. But, Alex, I'm ready to kick it off if you are. Yeah, it's always great when fans send us questions because me and you can just kick back here, get a little water, get a little snack, and read what they have to say and then answer these questions on air. So, start us off here, Fachi, with our first question. All right. We have faithful listener Aaron M. said, now that the Pacers' schedule has gotten tougher, if they continue to lose and end up at the bottom of the play-in by the halfway mark, will the Pacers become sellers? Um, Aaron, let me give you my thoughts on what's going on. No matter what, I think the Pacers are going to be sellers, Fachi, at the halfway point of the season, no matter where they're at. Um, you know, we talked about this, Fachi, and we talked about it with Bob Kravitz. You cannot lose sight of what is at hand here. You cannot get yourself thinking this team is anything more than a fun story right now. The The bottom line is this is a team that's fun enough to watch for 82 games. They're good enough to beat some opponents that they probably shouldn't on paper, but they're not talented enough to make any significant playoff run. So why be stuck somewhat in the middle once again? Even though this is a good experience, we talked about all that, at the end of the day, your job is to get more talent on this roster. And by doing that, you trade away 
what you have to trade away to get the assets that you need so you don't lose assets. And then you have to make sure you get a good draft pick. And the best place to get yourself a, a, a franchise-changing draft pick is in the lottery. We talked about it on the last episode saying it doesn't matter all the time where you get a player at, right? But it's very rare that you see second-round picks develop and turn into franchise changers. You see most teams' best players are picked in the top 10 uh, of the draft. So I think at the end of the day, that's where the Pacers want to position themselves, Faji. Yeah, I absolutely think if the Pacers are in play-in territory, they're looking to be sellers rather than buyers. I think the front office, the goal has always been to raise the ceiling of this team, not kind of be the same old team year in, year out. But plus, you know, we got to trust that they know if Turner's going to resign or not. And if they make a move to trade Turner, I don't think it's going to be Turner saying that he wants to resign. The Pacers being like, nah, you know what? We're just going to trade you anyway. I think they're going to know their judgment to say, we can't lose this guy for nothing. We're not going to go down with the ship. And then a buddy, a buddy, on the other hand, who, look, I don't think the Lakers deal is going to be the only deal out there. I think that Turner's going to have suitors. Buddy, they can make their decision on. But I don't think that they're trying to be in the play. And I think they see that there's a big opportunity over here to raise the ceiling long term. And that's through the draft. Now, here's the thing. I don't see this team being capable of just bottoming out and being like awful picking top three, but I do think they they could still be picking top 10. And I know to some people now it's like 10th overall. Ugh. Guys, before this year, that was, that was, that was as good as it gets. I mean, Duarte, you know, you're looking at, at, at you know, was picked pick 13. You had um, Paul George at 10. You had Miles Turner at 11. It was just like picking inside the top 10 was, was something that you just didn't see. So even if the Pacers still finish this year out and they pick 10th overall, I would rather take that 10th overall pick than getting knocked out in the play-in any day of the week. Yeah, and, and here's another thing too. If you really like somebody, Fachi, in this draft, I mean, we haven't seen it very often uh, over the last couple of years where, where teams are trading multiple picks, but the Pacers, I think, are ahead of schedule in terms of hitting on their draft picks the last couple of years and, and how, well they, how well they've developed uh, in a short amount of time. Like Mather and Emhard being where they're at, it, it's pretty impressive. I think for what we've seen from Isaiah Jackson, like he's taken steps this year. He for has, sure, very much. From last year, uh, he's, still, he's still a work in progress. Same with a guy like Jalen Smith who they – uh, that's in his third year, and I think Chris Duarte is definitely a work in progress, but they've got a lot of foundational pieces moving forward. So if they wanted to maybe forfeit a, a future pick or something that they've acquired or one of their own future picks to move up in the draft and pair it with 10, then maybe that's something they consider if they feel like there is a player on the board that can change things. So, yeah, I mean, just because they might be slotted at top 10, top 9, whatever, doesn't mean that's where they finish and where they draft. So, that's uh, another thing to keep in mind there. But let's move on to our next question here. This one comes from Chris Phillips, and I think this might be Chris's first question for the mailbag. So, Chris, thank you so much for uh, submitting this one. He said, uh, now that this road trip has mostly been a loss, is it back to pining for the tank or still go for the playoffs? Duarte's injury is starting to significantly impact the Pacers. Yeah, so here's the thing. I don't think this team is ever going to flat-out tank. But I, I, I do think that we're, we're not going to be as bad as people thought. It's just simply put, like, I think this team has surprised everybody, including the front office, if they try and say we knew this team would be this good. I think they'd be lying to us. So 
it's just a matter of things like, look, do you give Turner some extended rest here or there? Maybe you give Halliburton a day off or so. You don't rush Duarte back. If by that you say, hey, yeah, that's tanking, then look, the Pacers might take a couple of those moves. But I don't think you're going to see anything where all of a sudden, you know, uh, every single meaningful player is traded or we rest them for large, large chunks. But I, I think at this point, they'll be sellers. I don't think that they're going to make the push for the playoffs because the Pacers have set themselves up in a spot where you got cap flexibility. You got draft picks coming in. You're young. Like, why would you want to bring in, make a trade that kind of forces the hand that now kind of disrupts of what they have right now? So I think the course has always been, hey, let's get a, let's develop young talent, keep the books clean. And you know what? Let, let's just, if there's a way to get better, like bring in a, a younger asset or something like that. Pacers will go for it, but I don't think they're going to make a playoff push by bringing in someone that doesn't fit the timeline of this team. Yeah, and it kind of goes back to the question Aaron asked, too. Like, I don't think the Pacers are going to be buyers whatsoever, no. Uh, no, no matter what anybody thinks. Like, if there's a guy, like, there's been some rumors out there that Detroit Pistons wing Sadiq Bay could be available, right? And Sadiq Bay lit up the Pacers last season in, in a in a game in, in Gambridge Foot. I see it, like, they had, like, five or six threes that game or eight threes, something stupid like that. I mean, he was just on fire. If a player like that becomes available and you make a trade for him, you're not really being a buyer. You're taking a flyer on a guy to see what maybe he could become for your franchise. Maybe it's not fitting where not working out where he's playing. But in terms of the long, the bigger picture here, like, look, this road trip is tough. They're playing good teams on this road trip. But I think there's a lot of, you know, while there's upper, upper echelon teams in the NBA, there's a lot of teams that are kind of around the same record right now, Fachi. And it's not saying that the talent is like overall balanced, but I just think there's been injuries, there's been stuff going on. And so while we're, we've, we've lost some key games, I just think at the end of the season, maybe even at the end of December, you'll see where the Pacers, you know, the water, we talked about it with Buddy Hill shooting in the last episode, water finds its level, right? I think that's what's going to happen. Like the Pacers are almost back to a 500 record now. And through 25 games, if you're a game over 500, like that's kind of who you are. But at the same time, they really did take advantage of an easy schedule early on with a lot of home games, a lot of breaks in between. We, we've seen them on short days rest. Uh, like you said, they're what, 5-0 and in the second game yeah. of a back-to-back, right? But, mm-hmm. you know, it's just that's not sustainable. <laughs> it's no, kind of crazy. Not. Everything you're saying here, though, it's not saying we're pining for the tank. Um, versus the playoffs. I just think that over an 82-game season, you're going to start seeing with the the talent deficiency here with this team compared to other teams in the league. No offense to the Pacers' roster construction, but they weren't built to win this year. They were built, like you said, Fachi, to develop. Yes, absolutely. When, for the next question we have, Tom Blackburn said, do you think the lack of size at the three is an issue or concern moving forward for the Pacers? They are a team full of great size at the two, but the three, I feel that it causes defensive limitations. Just curious thoughts. Tom, you're a smart man. You are doing a great job analyzing basketball from your perspective because I 1,000% agree with everything you said in this uh, question, Uh, you know, trying to get our thoughts on, you know, how you feel. Do we feel the same way? Absolutely. This team desperately needs wings, right? Um, They're like if you went to – Buffalo Wild Wings. This is the, the Pacers like to get chicken fingers and French fries instead. 
when they refuse to get what they need to, to fulfill their order, which is Buffalo wings. Right. And that's what they will not do for whatever reason. Like Kendall Brown is their biggest wing, like probably their only true wing on this roster. And you saw how his size affected the game against the Warriors in just a short amount of time. O'Shea Brissett is probably another guy that we've talked about being a wing. And look what yep. he did last night. You need more guys like that because like you said, defensively, that's where you miss them the most. And just being able to be versatile, you know, Buddy Heald cannot be playing the four. Matherin cannot be playing the four on a championship level team. You got to find somebody that can play the small ball four or or just be a dominant three for you. That's six foot nine and can give, can guard one through five. No doubt. Look, probably the hardest thing to find in basketball, everyone's trying to find how do you find your, your prototypical, you know, LeBron James type player. They don't grow on trees. I think the Pacers have tried to be like, oh, what if we put Neesmith at the three, you know, take a look. at It's just, it's like an experiment, but it's one that you don't feel like you're going to pass the test with flying colors. And you look at a guy like Kendall Brown. Kendall Brown is obviously, you look at him and he looks long. Like it's just flat out. But obviously we know, look, he's a rookie. He's really raw, not quite there yet. O'Shea has his limitations. It's hard to find those guys, you know, the the six seven six eight you know, true wings, but I think the Pacers have a bunch of those six five guys, like, you know, six could be six seven on a on a good day for some. But it, it's just that's been where the gap has been. And if that's something the Pacers need to address, I think they're they're loaded at the two. You know, they're, they're you know, don't worry about that. We're good there. But <laughs> I just don't know there's not enough real true wings to go around at the three and the teams that have those tend to be the teams that are you know matchup problems or just more successful so tom you're absolutely right that is a issue for the pacers that hopefully they can address whether it's through the draft whether it's through a trade free agency whatever it is it's got to be top of the list yeah and i think there's a handful of them in this year's draft class that makes me excited um even if they don't get like the number one or number two picks you know, you'll hear me talk about this the more uh, as the draft gets closer. But there's a handful of guys that I'm really intrigued by, and and we're going to continue to hear more names pop up as the season goes on. You know, what happens now in December is not what happens come April. Uh, once the NCAA tournament happens and you start seeing mock drafts kind of shift, you, you start seeing players rise and players fall. But I, I think you're going to see a lot of wings in the top 14 in the lottery. So. You know, the Pacers desperately need to get some more wing depth. And like you said, Bachi, via the draft or via the trade, they have to address that. But let's move on. Uh, Dontrell Bullies, <laughs> he he submitted this question before the Warriors game. But uh, oh, I want to put that sense. out. Uh, I want to put that out there. But he asked, why is Nimhard getting treated like he was a number six pick? And Benedict Mather and getting treated like he was a second round, uh, second rounder, and then he said, "Mail bag me." So, uh, just to kind of put a caveat on that, so you guys understand, like why he asked it this way, it, it's mostly because Nimhard's been getting starts while Mather hasn't. So, Fachi, answer this question. <laughs> and I, I figured because when I, when I was looking at that, I was like, I just don't agree with that. But look, it clearly it was about the start thing because Matherin has absolutely gotten his shine amongst the league. Eastern Conference Rookie of the Month. I think that everyone's been talking about him and all that. But as it relates to starting, yes, uh, you know, Nemhard got the starting role earlier because I feel like he's more able to fit in with the lineup compared to a Matherin who needs the ball a little bit more, more of an alpha-type player. So 
Uh, I, I think that clearly the Pacers, you know, they, they love Matherin from the bench standpoint, being able to watch the game and know how to attack when he goes in there. I don't know if they necessarily have the plan that he's going to win six man of the year. We're going for it. That's our end all be all. But I do think that if you took Matherin off of the, the second unit, it is it's thin out there. You're talking about a second unit that could be, you know, kind of like O'Shea, Neesmith. You know, hopefully a healthy Duarte, like TJ McConnell. It's it's not great. So um, overall, I think that both guys are getting shine. Just uh, Nemhard's easier to slide into a role as the fifth starter compared to Matherin. Yeah, honestly, even before last night's performance, I still would have said they're not getting treated uh, differently. I mean, Ben Ben's getting the ball a lot. I'm getting a lot of shot attempts. And, and Nemhard, before last night's game, he's kind of been – the fifth guy in the starting lineup. I mean, and part of the reason I think they're doing that is uh, because they know that like three of their probably top eight players so far this season, maybe nine have been point guards with, with Halliburton McConnell and and Nimhard. So you have to find opportunities for him to play. He's been, in my opinion, the best fifth starter with the four that they've had starting on a regular rotation. So, you know, uh, Duarte struggled, Nisman struggled, uh, you know, and that's pretty much all they've put in there. Uh, Matherin got the start the, uh, last night against the Warriors, but obviously that's because there's a lot of guys hurt. So I, I just feel like Nimhard is just a totally different player than than Ben is, and he's able to be more poised, be a, uh, be more of a steady hand out there, not as rattled, and doesn't force as much as Ben. And, and, and that's okay. Ben is asked to force a little bit with the second unit, but you've, you've noticed that Fachi too, and uh, – if Ben and, and Buddy were starting together, you know, Ben's not getting the looks that he's getting in the second unit. So um, I still think there's times when I'd like to see him get more of an opportunity to kind of be the um, the lead ball handler with the offense and kind of see what he can do with that. But, you know, they, they cannot take away McConnell's minutes right now just because of what he's meant to this franchise, what he means to this team. And like Rick Carlisle said it against the Lakers, like the steal that McConnell had kind of set the tone for their comeback. So, you know, if you if you were to put Nimhart on the bench with Ben uh Benedict, then then you're just kind of taking McConnell out of the equation, in my opinion. So that that to me is why you're seeing more starting time and maybe maybe more love from Carlisle on Nimhart. I don't know. I think you just ask about him a lot because everybody's just been impressed by him. Yeah, I don't blame him. I mean, I I think there's a lot to be impressed with. So overall, I, I think that um, you know. Pacers are in a good spot. Both guys are getting shine, and that, that's pretty rare to see. Not many teams right now have two rookies from this past class that are getting raved about. They might be two guys that both find themselves on all NBA rookie teams. That would be special for the Pacers. But next mm-hmm. question we have, you know, the the description is in the name. Pacer faithful, a faithful listener of ours. Really appreciate you guys. Said, you know, with Nemhard's emergence and Buddy's chemistry with Tyrese, availability and elite shooting coupled with his questionable contract affecting his value. Does it make sense to pivot toward trading Duarte instead of buddy? Man, this is a good question. Um, Chuck and Jamie coming through with another great question for the mailbag, man. um, You know, we could look at it from two sides here, Fachi, and you can look at it from the side of you, you uh, trade the vet, because you're in a youth movement and Duarte is a special player, better defender overall, and he just needs the time to get right and get healthy. But at the same time, Duarte's had a lot of injuries already in his short early career. 
And Buddy has been super available and hardly ever gets hurt. He plays a ton of games in the NBA season, and the chemistry is huge that he has with uh, with uh, Halliburton. Yep. Yeah, but but at the same time, you have to realize Buddy probably should be coming off the bench by the end of the season if he's still on the roster because I think Matherin should be uh, getting the opportunities and the reps to be the starter next to Halliburton if you feel like that's your backcourt of the future. So regardless, I think that Matherin should be the starting two uh, next to Tyrese, or you can even say the starting three next to Nimhard and Tyrese. I don't know what they're going to do, but I think you know for sure that Halliburton and Matherin are, are a really good dynamic together. So Buddy... While I'm, I'm talking to myself through this, I apologize if I'm taking a long time to answer this, but uh, I just feel like you, you still stay on the train of trading the veteran because his availability, he might get you more back in return. But I think if there's an opportunity to move off of Duarte in the right deal, you have to consider it because you already are so deep at that shooting guard position, which we've talked about. But if I'm looking at the rest of the shooting guards on the rosters, uh, in the long-term future outside of Matherin um, and not including Duarte, I don't necessarily love everybody we have that's behind them. Yeah, look, and anything could happen once Buddy, you know, enters free agency. I mean, if you trade Duarte, you better lock up Buddy. But at the same point, here's what I'd say. I hear you, Chuck and Jamie, I do, but Duarte just has not been able to fully reach his potential due to the injuries. But let's stop for one quick second and think about this. The last game that Duarte played more than five minutes, not the one that he got hurt in, he scored a career-high 30 points on 10 of 15 shooting. I know a lot goes by from from then to now, but in, in the retrospect, that was four weeks ago. Four weeks ago, he had the best game of his career. You can make an argument. Maybe not the best one, highest scoring game of his career. So, And he's not your typical young second-year guy. He was, you know, he was a pretty old rookie, about 24 years old. But I do think there's been a lot of really great moments with Duarte, but it's just taken the addition of Mather and Nemhard to really kind of overshadow what we saw last year. So I do I think for Buddy, he's been awesome. Teammates love him. He has been available, but you could get a first round pick for him and clear off money on the books that you use to sign other players while Duarte is still solidly cheaper. But I think that the second half of the year you're going to learn a lot about Chris Duarte's future standing with this team. Is he just a bench player or can he really push to be more than that? Obviously there's a jam at the two guard position right now, but I I think that Duarte needs a little bit of the benefit of the doubt because this is a development year and he's got every right to be able to be developed just like the, the rest of the players that are getting the 30 plus minutes a night right now. So it's an interesting situation with Buddy, but I think for right now, we got to remember Duarte's second to last game they played was one of his best games of his career. Yeah. And just to kind of piggyback off that real quick, you know, the, the, the injury that happened to Duarte was kind of a fluke thing with Kyle Lowry, right? Like just landed on the ankle wrong. It's not like he's constantly having ankle injuries. Like the last year it was the shoulder. Mm-hmm. And was it anything else? Was it the knee maybe? The toe injury. Toe injury. That's right. Good grief. I'm, so many injuries last year. I can't keep up with everybody's right. But um, one thing that I would like to see from Duarte too, Fachi, it's like, um, before I bring that up, you bring up a great point talking about the cheaper contract. But the big thing with Duarte is you have him under a rookie contract and, and on the rookie scale deal, which is huge because you can pick up the option 
for the next couple of years, and then he can become a restricted free agent, but you still have the bird rights. So you could have him for another seven years, right? Which is huge, where Buddy could leave in two, right? So that's one thing you have to consider is do you feel like Buddy wants to be here long-term? If he does, then that's interesting. But I just feel like give Duarte the role Matherin kind of has this season once Matherin moves to the starting lineup, and how does he flourish as the go-to option? Because we saw in his rookie season when he was kind of the go-to guy a little bit with the first unit that he could really put the points up. Um, I think it did help playing alongside a really solid guy like DeMontis Sabonis who's going to create looks for you off of his dribble handoff stuff. But I feel like there's ways they could get Duarte more involved offensively with the second unit if he can kind of be the primary guy and doesn't have to be the secondary you know, or the third guy just kind of like wanting to pick his moments here and there because I feel like when he sees the ball go in, he's like a lights-out shooter that just needs the ball more and more. And, and that's kind of what – uh, you've seen from Clay Thompson in his career when, even though he's just a catch and shoot kind of guy, when he gets going, he can change the uh, trajectory of a game like that, and that's kind of the role I'd like to see Duarte be in. Call me biased because I told you I was in the building for Duarte's career high. I saw it; he looked confident. It was each time he came around a screen, it just looked like he knew the ball was going in. That's why I was so excited because. He, it felt like he lacked, I don't want to say lacked the confidence, but he was struggling early on in the season, and it was like, man, this guy just needs to see the ball go in. And once he finally did, it was like, how's he going to respond coming off that career high? And then he gets hurt. It was just like the worst timing for it, but I think we got to give him the benefit of the doubt because there's a lot of this season left, and I think that if Duarte could string together a couple of really good games, everybody could be like, man. We were way too hard on him. And there's a lot of people that were saying, like, all right, he's not who we thought he was. But also remember the beginning of the year, when, uh, or talk about the offseason, when the Pacers were talking about making a trade for Aiton, I remember a lot of people being like, nope, if they want Duarte, it's not happening. Not No deal. And now they're like, ah, I mean, whatever. And we did this also to an extent for O'Shea. When O'Shea was playing really well, I was like, man, I'm not just throwing O'Shea in a deal. And now it's like, eh, whatever. It just shows the highs and lows of the NBA where it's like, what have you done for me lately? Lately, mm -hmm. Duarte, unfortunately, hasn't been able to do anything. But when we get him back on the court, that's when it's more fun to be able to say, okay, all right, now I'm starting to get a feel of long-term, does he fit with this team or not? But – I'm ready to move on to the next question, if you are. You don't want to keep talking about Duarte and Buddy? Hey, I mean, hey, we, we could go on. We could. Yeah, no, for sure. And, I, and I, I like the Aiden point that you bring up, too, though, because I had people in my mentions, what, maybe three weeks ago, telling me that because Aiden's playing worse than Miles Turner and I wanted to give Aiden an extension, that it's time to give Miles uh, a max extension because that's what he's worthy of if I thought Aiden was worthy of a max extension. Um, yeah. Not quite how it works. No, it's totally different, but I don't want to get into that too much. But it just reminded me of that. And it's kind of like, look, I, I think at the end of the day, you always overvalue your players. Uh, maybe we undervalue a little bit in terms of when we do trading so. ideas just because we're trying to be not biased. But in doing that, we undervalue our own players. So we got to find a better balance when we do that. Maybe if we do it again this year. But yeah, regardless, Flachi, I think... There's a lot of different options you can look at here, and I think overall, if you have Matherin, Buddy, Tyrese, and Andrew Nimhard, um, or Duarte, you have that five right there, I think you're in, in good shape uh, moving forward no matter which direction you go. But let's 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Let's go on. Like you said, Samuel Colbertson, faithful listener, said, what do you think are the main reasons we have struggled on this road trip? And what's the missing piece to take this team to the next level? Well, Sam, I'm going to say number one is the level of competition mostly. These are teams that actually have playoff, if not championship aspirations. It showed. I mean, you go out there, the Minnesota Timberwolves, a team that, you know, went all in, traded five first-round picks for Rudy Gobert. You know, I know I understand the Clippers were without a couple people, but, you know, even the Jazz got off to a, a good start. The Kings, the Kings, this is this might be the best Kings team in the last, you know, 15-plus years. I think that we saw that we kind of got punched in the mouth a bit by the competition because out West, I mean, those those were some serious teams. But also, you know, Portland. Portland's a good team. Damon Lillard returned for that. But then the next thing is just, look, we're out West on the road. Later start times. I know it's the NBA. You can't make excuses for all of it. So I would say that the biggest thing has been the level of competition, in my opinion. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, I, I talked with you about this off air too on Monday, and I just said I feel like one of the main reasons that we're struggling so much is because we don't have an inside game. We're yeah. very one dimensional with how we play, especially offensively. Um, live and die by the three. Yeah, live and die by the three, Fachi. And you know, sometimes it can be awesome, and sometimes it can't be. But like in terms of like guys that can just really get to the hoop at a consistent rate you're really only talking about Mather. And I know that sounds wild, but like we, we've seen some developments from that from Turner this year, uh, a little bit from Halliburton as well, but we don't have a ton of guys that are just like, okay, I'm going to put the ball 
I'm going to put my head down, get, put the ball in the basket, and, and get into the teeth of the defense. We don't really see that from this team. It's like, let's swing the ball around. Let's, you know, run a pick and pop or run an alley-oop play, something like that. But, like, other than, like, hey, let's slow it down and play in a half-court offense, we can't do that very well. Uh, we're not a half-court offense team. No. And that is part of the reason why we've lost some of these games is because these other teams have been able to hit their shots and make us play half-court basketball. We are best when we are playing a run and gun, catch you off guard, get you moving, get you out of position. But when when you get us <laughs> uh, in a half-court set, play some zone against us, play some different uh, you know defenses against us, it's going to take us all of that 24-second shot clock to find the right look, and sometimes we might not get it. Even last night, the Warriors forced the Pacers to have some shot clock violations because they couldn't get a good look. And, you know, that to me is what this team is. They're fast-paced with not much of a low-post presence outside of throwing the miles on a switch or throwing a lob pass to Isaiah Jackson in a pick-and-roll. And that's something that I think they wanted when they were going after Aiden was just somebody that, hey, if we're in the half court, we can throw the ball down low to him and maybe he can get us a nice little post up here to, to give us an inside-out game. But right now we are about – 93% outside with very little inside game. Yeah, and the inside game, it, it's got to be there because it's just – it's not sustainable to put up 43s a night and think that, hey, like it, it's we're always going to be good. I mean, we have some shooters, we do, but some of them are also kind of streaky shooters. So it just feels like I don't want a, a style of like – and it's not to the ex exact extent, but this reminds me of like – the Houston Rockets of, of a, a few years ago, James Harden, where they needed to put up 43s a night. And even then, and that's a couple of years ago, people are 43s a night. That's what the Pacers are relying upon. And they live and die by it. And when they lose games, you look at how, well, how do we shoot the three-point land? If it wasn't good, we lost. And that's just simply how it is. So they, they need to, you know, get a little bit more consistency inside. There's been a couple of times the Pacers have gotten just crushed in the paint. Um, so it makes a big difference, but uh, I just think that those are some of the reasons why. And a, a seven-game road trip in 12 days, it's a lot. It, it's it's more on average. You're playing more than a game every other night. We talked about it. It's weird enough. The Pacers have gone 5-0 and in the, the second half of those. But it, it's just something that's not sustainable. It's a lot of basketball to be played. And I think that the Pacers are very much looking forward to going home. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You ready to move on to the next question? I am ready. So we have DJ Davis. He said, what steps can the Pacers take to compete with the best of the league, if not this year, then next? Well, I mean, I guess they are competing with the best of the league. Like, yeah. they've done a good job of that. Uh, I, I think if you mean, like, when can they, like, get to that level, I think it's just going to take time to let these players develop with game experience. I know that sounds crazy. Like, sure, they need to add more talent to the roster. There's no doubt about that. They need to hit more uh, fr free agents if they can get any. That's something that's kind of minor. They need to probably find another trade out there that's going to help them get uh, another talented player, whether that's at the center position, power forward position, which they still really don't have a power forward, Fachi. That's a big hole. And they really don't have a small forward. They really don't have any forwards. They're playing a bunch of centers and guards at those positions trying to, to to level it out. And, and we've seen, well, how that's worked. It's not like something that's going to be sustainable. So they got to find forwards, wings, whatever you want to call them, moving forward. 
but that's the area of concern they have to address moving forward with the building of the roster. But I think just adding talent, whether that's through the draft, trade, or free agency, because they're they're getting there, but those all will help. And then just internal development, and you're already seeing it this year, these guys develop at a quicker rate than we expected. Uh, that is the way that I think this team can can compete with the best of the best. We're already ahead of schedule. I mean, this could have been an OKC-ish type rebuild where the first year is just downright tough to watch. But you look at this, and that is not the case. Benedict Matherin is a potential superstar, a potential all, you know, rookie of the year, uh, sixth man of the year, wh- whatever you want to call him. I mean, that that that's who he is right now. Nemhar looks fantastic. Isaiah Jackson still has all the skills to be able to, you know, not even be scratching the surface right now. Duarte, we're still waiting on. Then you talk about the Pacers could have potentially the most salary cap space in the league, depending on what they do with Buddy Heald. The three first-round picks coming their way. Alex, this... It smells like the capability to pull off a blockbuster trade if it's presentable enough. We yeah. talked about in the offseason, making that what the Cavs did going after Donovan Mitchell with that trade. The Pacers now have the assets to be able to pull that off. Three first round picks in this draft, it's actually too many. What are the Pacers going to do with that much young talent? It sounds like the best problem to have, but it also feels like the opportunity to consolidate some of those picks and make a run at someone, be able to make that trade for, I don't want to say a disgruntled star because you don't want anyone who's disgruntled, but someone that maybe needs a change of scenery. And here's the thing. Playing with Tyrese Halliburton is now something that that the Pacers can offer players that we have not been able to offer before. Halliburton is catching the attention of everybody. Mm-hmm. LeBron was raving about him. He could be an all-star this year. That's the kind of guy that gets others paid and makes the whole team better. So having that to offer, being able to play for a championship-level coach with Rick Carlisle right now, I mean, there's a lot to like about the young core of this team that I, I think is going to be able to help get us over the hump. But also, you got to lock in Tyrese Halliburton to a long-term contract. That is, that is a big thing right now that I think you know should and will happen. But I think that's one of the next steps for the team is saying Halliburton's going to be here for years to come. What's really interesting about Tyrese Halliburton is he was the 12th overall pick in the 2020 NBA draft taken by the Sacramento Kings at Iowa State. Look, a lot of people that I've listened to that cover the NBA draft were, were saying, like, no, we didn't really think he was top three. You know, couldn't take him there. But, like, if you look at, like, the five on range, like, people were talking about how he could have been drafted as, like, a top five pick. And he fell all the way to 12. And I think Tyrese has even talked about, like, letting people know, like, certain teams, hey, don't draft me. I don't want to really go to your team. You have too many guards. So, like, that made sense. But I've listened to two or three different podcasts recently, Fachi, where they've been talking about a redraft of the 2020 NBA draft class. And shockingly, every single analyst that I've heard is unanimous in a saying that Tyrese Halliburton would be the number one overall pick if they were to redo the draft of the 2020 uh, draft class. And I'm thinking to myself, LaMelo Ball's already been an all-star. Anthony Edwards was fantastic last season and had a really good playoff run and was clearly the Timberwolves' best player. What is it that all these analysts are saying about Tyrese Halliburton, who hasn't even been an all-star yet, to to jump those two guys to put him at number one when he was drafted 12? So I think you're starting to see, like you said, the league has been put on notice with Tyrese Halliburton. Special, special player. And in addition to that, you could be talking about Benedict Matherin being the best player of the 2022 NBA draft. So 
the Pacers have had not had this luck before in a long time where they have had potentially the best player in 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 the in the draft class that they were taken in like a three year span. So I think that's a really cool thing that uh you know could happen argumentatively in terms of like you know it's an argument like is Paolo better than Benedict or, or is Lamelo better than Tyrese or is Ant better than Tyrese? Like I'm just telling what people are saying and what people are talking about. I think it's very fascinating. The Pacers have two special talents, and I think more players are going to want to come play with them. So. Uh, another talented player, though, Fachi, that we saw go off against the Warriors and at the game winner against the Lakers was Andrew Nimhart. So uh, Destin Adams said, what are some career player comps for Andrew Nimhart? Also, should we expect him to be more than just the backup point guard of the future? Now, player comps are, are tough, especially when you're coming off of a game like Nimhart is because then it all of a sudden the 31 points makes you want to elevate who he could be. Maybe I'm taking a cop out over here. But could he be a quicker, better ball handling Malcolm Brogdon in terms of he could defend, he could shoot, he could do a little bit of everything pretty well over there? Maybe it's recency bias, but I could see, you know, a younger, quicker, better ball handling Malcolm Brogdon here. That's a really good one, Fachi. Um, Man, that's tough. So I actually sent this to a couple of different group threads that I'm in trying to get people's opinions. Okay, I've, I, I've heard Sean Livingston as a comp. For him, I've heard Andre Andre Miller. I've heard Tyrese Halliburton, <laughs> shockingly. Hey. Um, I also heard Kevin Johnson from the Phoenix Suns back in okay, the, the 90s. Yep. But I think the one that I actually liked the most was from our friend Mavs draft, uh, Richard Stamen. He said, coming into the draft, he said, I thought I saw a lot of Rajon Rondo mm-hmm. and Andrew Nimhard. And I think... If you look at it from not like a super explosive athlete, because Rondo's not that, but he was an elite defender, right? And a very good playmaker. I think if you combine that aspect of Rondo's game, maybe with like the height and play of Sean Livingston mixed with a little bit of Andre Miller, put those three together. That to me is the comp that I really feel makes the most sense, in my opinion, for Andrew Nimmar. Because here's what I'd say. If you want to talk shooting, Nemhard is twice the shooter Rondo ever even dreamed of being. And we're talking about a guy who's shooting 43% from three right over here. Um, When we're talking about Livingston, Sean Livingston, I believe, is 6'7". So we're talking about a a far taller point guard over here. I like Andre Miller over here, and I like some Kevin Johnson over there. It's tough because... You know, if we're coming off of the height of Nemhard right now, so yeah, I mean, some of these comps could could get a little crazy over here, but um, it's definitely fun to toy around with over here and, and just know that look, if Nemhard could have the career that any of those guys had, I mean, Andre Miller, you're talking about one of the best assist guys that we've seen. I mean, a really underrated point guard. Sean Livingston was very vital to the Golden State Warriors winning those you know early championships. Rondo, I mean, Rondo probably never kind of get the credit that he deserved. Huge early on with Boston, also really big with the Lakers when they won their championship. Yeah, and just a, a overall tough playmaker, guarding you know point guard right over there. So, and then even Brogdon, I mean, Brogdon was a real True. solid player. I mean, a real solid player. Actually, leads the NBA in three point percentage right now. So. Uh, Th- those are some good comps right now. I, I think that if Nemhard's able to have the career that any of those guys had, I mean, it would be pretty awesome. And ironically, Brogdon, rookie of the year. 
Yeah, I, honestly, I, I could see where you take the offensive side uh, of Brogdon mm-hmm. in terms of like the shooting, and then you put the defense because I mean Brogdon was a decent defender; he can guard bigger yeah. players, yeah. And, and so can Rondo. I just think in terms of playmaking and the passes that he makes, he's got more Rondo feel to yeah. him as an yes, assist yes. guy mm-hmm. than Brogdon. Because Brogdon really wasn't a downhill guy like no. that could really get those passes like uh, like we've seen Nimhart already make. Like there was one that he made last night that was so good. It was like a bounce pass to O'Shea on the baseline, I think it was. I mean, it was just such a beautiful mm-hmm. pass. I don't even know how we got it there. But, yeah, I mean, it's tough because he's not one – you can't say there's been one player that we've already seen that has everything that that Nimhard brings to the table, and it's like you said, it's hard to like adequately give him the right comp this early into his season, uh, and and after having his best game of his career. But I think you can just kind of tell like the little tendencies that he has. He is a really high IQ player. He he really is, and I love I love the fact. That the Pacers looked, we've talked about this in, in, in the past. They looked for players that had played for really good coaches in college. And not only that, but just like talking about a four-year guy that had played at Florida as well as at Gonzaga, played in a national championship. Like just you talked about his basketball IQ is so far from your typical rookie because a lot of guys, Alex, they're one and done these times around, which means that they're not NBA ready. They're, they're sitting at the end of the bench waiting and making the mistakes, but maybe they yeah. don't have the flexibility to make those mistakes and still keep your your role in the rotation where it feels like Nemhard came in there and you saw it early on in, in summer league that it was like, this guy's got a good command of the offense. Like, doesn't not overly flashy, whatever. Lately, he he's he's shown some flash to to add to his control of the offense, and that's just with that's what's coming with a mature player coming in as a rookie. I love to see it. Right, and and one more uh, one thing that he asked us here, Destin, the answer was: Should we expect him to be more than just the backup point guard of the future? Don't think we answered this part. I'll, I'll quickly say we should expect him to be more. I think that might be where he ultimately slides into once we get the roster built the way they want as the sixth man. But I think you could also see him finishing games a lot of times and playing anywhere from 28 to 32 minutes a night. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I'm excited to see what's going to happen right now because look, you talked about Nemhard. He's not going to be playing 41 minutes. Not going to happen. Uh, but now you got Duarte coming back. You know, you got Halliburton coming in. You, you got McConnell coming over there. It's like Nemhard, I feel like, has has earned it. I mean, here's the thing. We you got to project about here. It. You're projecting yeah. here. So what, what is it? I'm just projecting long-term for, for Nemhard? Yeah, like is he going to be more than just a backup point guard of the future? Like what do you see his role being? I don't know how he could be. First of all, Matherin has to be a starter in this league. Look, like, has to be. I mean, come on. This guy's way too good to the point where he's got to be in there. Halliburton's got to be in there. And are the Pacers really going to go with like a three guard approach? So I feel like I don't want to lock him into being like, oh, he could just be our sixth man. But it's really hard for him to be able to be in that starting lineup, but he could still be closing out games, which we've seen. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was getting at, Fachi. Like, even if he is, quote-unquote, your sixth man, playing 28, 32 minutes a night and closing out games, because we know the Pacers, like, they like going small. That's one thing they've already done and shown that they can do effectively. Is it going to work on the playoffs? Who knows? But I'm not worried about the playoffs right now. I'm worried about, you know, the regular season and what and what you're looking at there. I, I think he's probably a top-five player on this team. 
moving forward in terms of like potential young guys, right? And, and what he can bring to the table. But just because you might have Isaiah Jackson or Jalen Smith starting over him doesn't mean that, you know, they're better players. It's just they play a position of need more than anything. So that's kind of how I look at it. But it, it's tough to project, especially when you already have your best player as a starting point guard. And it makes me nervous thinking about like six years down the road, does Nimhard want a bigger role and does he want to go start somewhere else and leave the Pacers? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> here's what I'm happy about. The Pacers made it right early on, giving Nimhard the richest guarantee for a second round pick out of college. Like off the bat, we thought that was interesting. It was like, was it just because we had all this extra money and didn't know what to do with it? Or what, what do we, you know, what's the theory here? Clearly they saw something early on that went, okay, we got to lock this guy in. Let's make it happen right over here. And that move has already beyond paid off. So I'm glad the Pacers took care of him early on. But I, I feel like, you know, this is something where let's also pump the brakes a little bit because I know this was a killer game, killer week, uh, unbelievable week. I don't know what words can do justice for the game winner in LeBron's face, followed by 31-13-8, holding Steph Curry to 3 of 17. I mean, it, it's hard to even make up. These are better than video game stats. Yeah. But it just feels like we got to take this. One game at a time, know that, you know, when Tyrese Halliburton's back in the lineup, Nemhard's role will be a bit minimized, but it just feels that he blends with the rest of the group so well that there's always going to be an opportunity for him. And let's not act like Rick isn't in love with him from everything we're hearing in the press conferences and after the game, bumping him up, draft pick after draft pick, whatever it is, it's just like... You know, th this man is raving about Nemhart, and he has every single right to, because we all should be. So whatever his role is going to be long-term, we're going to have to figure it out. But for right now, we talked about it early on. He's way too good to ever really have his role minimized. And let's remember this. Alex, this guy received a did-not-play-coach's decision on opening night. <laughs> Best-kept secret, Fachi, in the league until he was put into the starting lineup, and now... No longer a secret for the NBA, Fachi. Last question. I kind of spoiled it because I didn't realize what the question was, but go ahead and read it. All right. So for this our last question, we have uh, – I'm pulling it up because this was in a different folder right over here. All right. We have friend <laughs> of the show, Gavin, wrote in. He said um, – oh, actually, Alex, hit me with it. Oh, I got it right here. There we go. Got it? All right. With the emergence of Nemhard, how will we make the decision when he's due his extension – if he's wanting to be more than a backup point guard, play small with Halliburton, Nemhard, Ben. Yeah, and that, I did not realize this question. <laughs> I did not read this question before I answered the last one we were just talking. And I yeah. said, it makes me nervous to think about it. But like you said, I mean, he's not going to put up 31 and 13 and 8 no. on a regular basis. Like, he's got that in him to do it on a, on a, a, a rare occasion. But I don't see that with him right now being something you'll see from him every night. So one of those things... I will say, you, you see how the roster shapes out after you make your trades. If you make any trades this season, I think there will be some trades before the deadline. And then after your draft, look at your roster, see what you have. Like, you know, we were talking about O'Shea potentially being a starter or, you know, being like a six-man this year, and he didn't even start out in the rotation. Uh, we talked about Matherin and Duarte starting, and it was ended up being, uh, you know, Buddy and Duarte before Duarte was replaced by Neesmith. So uh, I think right now we can't worry too much about where, you know, Andrew being upset by his role, right? I think Andrew's doing a great job starting with the team that they currently have. But if they ended up with the third overall pick and drafted one of the Thompson twins 
and they put him in there at the three and whatever. And they said, okay, Andrew, we're going to have you be our backup point guard. McConnell's going to go to the third string. You know, we want you to orchestrate and run that second. You know, I think he would take on that role and do a great job with it. So I think that would give him an opportunity to play with the ball in his hands more and maybe be more of a, a score first kind of guy, but also be able to rack up more assists than just kind of being that secondary player that's kind of in the corner watching Halliburton orchestrate everything else and picking his spots where he can kind of lead that second unit. And then, like we talked about, closing games out when it matters the most because you do want those two ball handlers out there in closing time just to limit your turnovers. And he's a really smart defender. It really is. Like, I, I think that we can't get too far ahead of ourselves in terms of like well, what's going to happen when Nemhard's contract's up and we're in, you know, we're 25% of uh, the year done of his rookie year. So I think we got a lot of time to figure this out. That's that's one of uh, the luxuries of where we're at right now. So I think that this is something let's just sit back and, and wait and see how things unfold because this roster will be looking different, you know, a few years from now. There's going to be a lot of guys that are no longer with us and uh, there's bunch of guys that we hope are still here, but uh, a lot to be determined. Yeah, for sure, Fachi. So I have one question for you before we wrap up. What do you got? Where can the people find us at on social media? Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at setting the Absolutely. Tape what? That's what I always say every single time. Do it Why on do purpose. you always say that word? That, it's just, it's, it's my, if you notice every single episode, that's just how I do it. Absolutely. <laughs> You can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find us. Uh, you can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. Uh, oh my God. At underscore FACCI is where you can find me on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at setting the pace. You can find us on TikTok at setting the pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Man, I got you flustered, bro. Flustered Fachi is the funniest Fachi I've Not seen. my routine. Oh. It is It is true. Okay, so anyway, go to YouTube.com, everybody, backslash Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast for all of our video content there. I appreciate you all subscribing, leaving us nice comments, and, and just sharing your opinions. Any videos we upload, we want to hear your thoughts in the comment section, so please leave them there. Message us on social media, where Fachi said you can find us at, if you have anything you'd like to talk to us about in terms of what we said on the podcast. So we really appreciate you guys listening. It's been an awesome 2022 year with you guys. As we uh, approach the end of the year, we're really excited just to see where the future of this podcast goes. But Fachi, if you're excited that Benedict Matherin got his first start in the NBA against the Golden State Warriors, then say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast.